see everybody has um, the shirts on, jerseys, you know, everybody's ready for that food, you know, um, the Subway sandwiches, the wings, you know, the, the soda and everything else, right? But this morning, I want to get into the Word. I enjoy football, love football, you know, love food as well, but, you know, it's time to eat, it's time to eat on this word first. It's time to dig into this word first, right? But before we do, um, I want to give honor to um, my intercessors. Um, they've been praying all week. Um, um, all the prayer requests that's coming into the church, uh, we get them, and people have been praying for you. And not just praying for you, but contending for your healing, um, contending for your peace, um, contending for the very things that God has spoken in his word about you and your situation. So I, I want to honor my intercessors um, this morning. They've been praying uh, for the service as well, uh, praying for me, praying for um, our speakers that we've been having here over the past um, three, four weeks. So um, thank you guys so much. Thank you guys. Um, so this morning, I want to talk about, um, uh, well, the title of my message is Heart Like the Bereans. Heart Like the Bereans. It's a short thing, you know, uh, a short passage of scripture in the Bible, um, kind of like the prayer of Jabez. Um, we don't know a whole lot, but, um, but I like what uh, Luke had wrote about them in um, Acts 17. So if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Acts 17 this morning. Paper Bible, phone, whatever you have. If you don't have one, just look down, you know, pretend like you do. Um, give you guys a minute. <clears throat> Acts 17, beginning in verse 10, it says this. Then the, then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Verse 12, therefore many of them believe, also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was being preached by Paul in Berea. They came there also and stirred up the crowds. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea. But both Silas and Timothy remained there, verse 15. And those who, conduct, and those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens. And receiving the command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, and they departed. Father, help us, I pray, this morning. There's not a whole lot that we know about the people of Berea. 
are what they call the Berean people, except what Luke wrote in the book of Acts, right? But from, from history, what we do know is that it was 50 or 60 miles from Thessalonica, the place where Paul and Silas were when they got persecuted for preaching the gospel to a primary Jewish people. A primary Jewish people. The people who had the law. As I, I, or I call it the church folk. The people who grew up being schooled in the things of the word. Who had that before them. People who entrusted are the church folk, just like I said. I don't want to go too further into that right now. I'm going to come back to a little bit later. But when Paul and Silas arrived in Berea, they came at night. Was it to say that they did? Did they go and hide? It says that they went to the synagogues of the Jews. Why is that important? Because they didn't shun the church because there were conflicts and disagreements. They came right to the place where they were called to go and where they were supposed to be, and they looked for fellowship. See, a lot of times when we go through disagreements in the church, a lot of times when we go through conflicts, a lot of us, we hide. We stop going to church. That doesn't work for me anymore. Look what happened to me in that place, in that situation. Some of them are, I've, I've seen some people posted on social media. Dogging the church because of something that happened in their life. Instead of taking that which happened and going to God in prayer. Praying, Lord, is there something going on with my heart? Lord, is there something that I need to get right first? The Bible says to take the speck out of your eye before you take the log out of somebody else's. We have to figure out and understand this, that when we're talking about the church, we're talking about Christ's bride. Now, I know if you come after my bride, I'm going to have a problem with that. That's right. Right? So you have to remember, when we're talking about the church, we're talking about Christ's bride. And Christ takes notice of that. So be very careful what you're saying about his bride, about his children. In Romans 2, verse 28 in verse, um, in verse 29, it says this. For he is not a Jew who was one outwardly, nor is the circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who was one inwardly, in the circumcision that is of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from man, but from God. And the reason why I point that out, because you have a certain group of people who say, well, I am the chosen people and everybody else is excluded. But the Jewish people that Christ 
talks about, the word talks about, are those who have the spirit of Christ inside of them, right? So this also applies to us, that we have to be careful because we can easily fall into being critics of the church, being critics of God's people. I remember when I got saved in December 1st, December 31st, 1998. Got saved in the bathroom, went back to the college campus to serve God. When I got back there, I began to tell people my testimony and what happened. And guess what? They were all excited. No. <laughs> What's wrong with you, man? You're on a college campus. Why are you serving God? You should be going around and partying and doing everything else. But I chose to commit my heart to Christ. I chose to hang around people who love God more than I did. I chose to submit myself uh, uh, to leaders and pastors who can speak into my life. And because of that, I want to say about two or three years ago, we had a young man come into this church named Dwight. He was the president of the ministry that we started back in 1998. 20 plus years that ministry has been on that campus. Just think if, if when I face the conflict, if I ran and hide, how many lives will be impacted? I remember a friend of mine, uh, his name was Jero, um, but we call him Jibo. And he was on UCLA's campus. Uh, at the time, we were in um, um, campus ministry school. And... Um, his first time there, he was trying to reach out to people, minister to people, everybody rejected him. If you've ever been to UCLA, that's exactly what happens. Nobody wants to listen. Um, but one young man, you know, they had reached out to, shunned him away. Man, I don't want to hear that. He said, I'm not feeling good right now. So he walked away. He said, you know what, I'm going to be praying for you. I'm going to pray that God heals you as, a, as the guy walked away. So over time, um, same thing, people pushed him away. I think it was his last day there, second to last day, one of them. The young man found him, came up to him, and snatched the flyer out of his hand. He said, man, I've been looking for you guys. He said, when you guys said that you would pray for me, immediately I felt better. Immediately I felt better. I want to know more about what this Jesus you're talking about. What if he would have stopped? What if he would have gave up because of conflict? That young man never would have heard the gospel. Never would have came. In verse 11, when Paul and Silas came to Berea, it says that these were more fair-minded and noble than those in, than those in Thessalonica. I want to talk a little bit further about the contrast of the Bereans and the people in Thessalonica real quick are what we call the church folk in my southern accent or my southern slang. If you go into Acts 17 where you're at, go up to verse 1. It says, when Paul and his companions had passed through 
Amphipolis, in Apollonia. They came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbaths, 21 days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Messiah. He said, and some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greek and quite few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous. They rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. Look at their hearts. In verse 5 it says, but other Jews were jealous. Their hearts were hard towards the gospel. It says they weren't even persuaded. What does that mean? They didn't give thought to what Paul was saying. They immediately rejected what they were saying. They didn't choose to search in the law if what Paul and saying, if what Paul and Silas were saying were correct. But they became envious. And this shows me that it was not about the law, about the law of God anymore. It was about themselves and their tradition. That over time, their tradition and their ideas became more important than the word of God. Where are our ideas? Are our traditions, the way that we're used to doing things, are they more important than the word of God? Or does the word of God stand president over our lives? in our situation. Their hearts became hard because they began to put their beliefs above the word. How do we say that now? Some people have put their political parties on the same line with the word of God. That one political party is better than another. That because I'm this political party, that means I'm in right standing with God or I love God more. It's dangerous. It's dangerous to, it's dangerous to begin to live that way. Jesus had to rebuke this, this way of thinking many times. If you read in, in, in Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 3, are reading in the book of uh, Mark. Matter of fact, I'm going to turn to the book of Mark, chapter 7, verses 1 through 9, real quick. In verse 1, it says, Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him. Having come from Jerusalem, now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, with defile, that is, with unwashed hands, 
they found fault. Can you believe this? Because they didn't wash their hands, they found fault. I mean, it's good to wash your hands before you eat. It is. Right? It says, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way. Holding to the, holding to the traditions of the elders. When they come from marketplaces, they do not eat unless they wash their hands first, right? And there are many other wash, and there are many other things which they have received and hold like the washings of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and, and couches. Everything they wash, and the reason why, because they had feared that the Gentiles have touched that. Or people outside of them were unclean. That we can't push people away. Or if we're uh, uh, talking to the homeless, I can't touch you because you're this way. Or, or you have COVID, let me get far away from you. But as we read earlier, there were Greeks who were coming to faith in Christ. People who didn't act like them, didn't look like them, didn't grow up like them were coming to faith in Christ. Then the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? Jesus answered and said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, you hypocrites? As it is written, this people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of man. He says that they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. This is what happens when we, when we put our ideas and everything else above the word of God. That our lives become lip service now. That our hearts are no longer his. That our hearts are far from him. And verse 8 says, for laying aside the commandments of God, you hold the traditions of man the washing of pitchers and cups, and many such things you do. What are the commandments of man? Anything that doesn't align with Scripture. Anything that doesn't align with the Word of God. Any ideology that teaches that we can have a relationship with God other than, other than except through, through Christ Jesus. If we're teaching people that because you're good, that you do good things, you're in right relationship with God. The Bible says not one is good, not even one. That we can't hold the ideas of what we view about people as what God's word says. We have to go to God's word and see what God's word says, period. Here are some of the ideologies that I hear people say a lot. 
The first one is say, my anxiety. My anxiety won't allow me to do that. My anxiety. You're claiming that on yourselves. You're putting that on yourselves. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. As Miss Latanya was singing the song, his perfect love cast out all fear. The Bible says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer, petition, with thanksgiving. And the peace of God, the peace of God will begin to rule in your heart. We have to be careful what we claim over our lives, what we're speaking over our situation. Absolutely, speak life. The second one are, we are sinners saved by grace. No, 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 no. We were once sinners, but by grace, we're no longer that way anymore. You're no longer a sinner once you're in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, those who are in Christ are new creations. Everybody say new. That word new means a never before created individual. You're no longer a sinner. That's not who you are. And it says in verse 21, it says we are the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. We are righteous. We're in right standing with God. You can't be a, 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 a righteous and a sinner at the same time. It doesn't go together. Once you're in Christ, you are the righteousness of God. Say, I'm the righteousness of God. I am righteous. That's not a, a proudful statement. I mean, that's not a prideful statement. That's simply saying what the word of God says. That's humility. Humility is saying what God's word says about you, period. The third one is um, that I heard people say this before, teaching the kids that they are young, let them go and have fun. Let them go and have fun. They're still young. It's okay. Why would we willingly give our kids over to something that we know that's going to ruin them? Why push them away? Why allow them to go into the enemy's playground and play? Proverbs 6, Proverbs 22, 6 says this. It says, raise up a child in a way that they should go, and they will not depart when they get old. How are we raising our kids? What are we speaking over them? For this last one, maybe I should get a vomit bag and write about the things that I hate or the things that make me sick. The, the place where I work at, that they teach these people who are battling um, um, drug addictions, that you're always going to be an addict. No matter how long you've been clean, you're always going to be this way. That makes me sick. You're speaking death. 
over these kids. You're speaking death over these people. Do you know what addiction is? It's simply unrighteousness. Addiction is unrighteousness. So once you become, once we lead them to Christ, they become the righteousness of God. And guess what? Addiction begins to be broken. The power of addiction begins to be broken because now they're righteous. As Paul talked about, as Paul went to the Bereans, uh, to uh, 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 Berea and to the Berean people, I like what Matthew Henry commentary puts it like this. It says they had a freer thought and lay more open to conviction and were willing to hear reason and admit thereof and subscribe to that which appeared to be truth. Though it was contrary to their formal sentiments, this was more noble. They were open to hear the word. They made that choice as they began to hear the word. They were fair-minded. They were noble. We have a choice today. We have a choice every day as we're hearing the word of God. We have that choice. How are we responding to the word? Are we going to be like the Jews, Thessalonica, or are we going to be like the Bereans? I want to talk about a couple of points real quick, maybe three if we have some time, that we can learn from um, the Bereans this morning. The first one was, they receive the word of God with all readiness. They received it with all readiness. They listened intently to what Paul was saying. They paid attention. I'm not sure if they had notes, but they probably were taking notes. Taking notes. Okay, I heard what they were saying. Let me write this down. Let me write this down to see what they're saying is true. When we approach the word, or when we get into the word, how are we approaching it? Is it a checklist that we, today I, I read my word? Is it a checklist? Are we checking off our just daily reading? Yes, I read that today. Are we just reading what the, the verse is on you, virgin? Yes, I read it today. Yes, I had read that. How many people only eat a snack a day and nothing else? Raise your hand. If you don't eat just a snack a day, raise your hand. Nobody? How many times a day do you eat? Three? Right? Some? Five? Right? <laughs> right. It's not just a little something. It's your eating. You're digesting. That's how we have to be with the word. With myself, and my wife can attest, I'm constantly reading. And the reason why, because I'm being 
bombarded at work with so many different ideologies and ways of thinking and the things that the kids are going through and battling so much on a day-to-day -day basis, being attacked from every single angle, from Bill's situation, the money situation, to false accusations, that I have to get myself or put myself in that word. I have to remember, we have to remember that this Bible that we're reading, whether it's on your phone or paper, this, this is the word that brings the dead back to life. It brings the dead back to life. If you're in Christ this morning, you were once dead and Christ has made you alive. And that's a testimony to this word. These are the most powerful words in all the universe. The most powerful words in all the universe. If you don't believe me, seek after him. I've seen it work. I've seen it work. I speak life. I speak this word over my family. I've seen God do miracles in my family. And I'm still believing God for the rest of my family. This word is real. This word is powerful. James chapter 1, verses, uh, starting in verse 22, says this. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. And afterward, and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. This is the casual reading. Verse 25 says, but anyone who looks intently, say intently, into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, and continues in it not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Say blessed. Look intently. This is what the Bereans did. They looked intently into what Paul and Silas were saying. They searched the scriptures. And when they searched the scriptures, they said, what they're saying is correct. Not all of them believed, but some believed. But, what they, but after further investigation, they said what Paul, is saying, what Paul was saying was correct. A lot of times we just come to church and, and we look to be fed. We don't read our word. I don't eat once a week. I'm sorry. I don't. I mean, I fast, but I don't eat once a week. I have to eat every single day. You have people who say, well, they go from church to church to church and say, well, I'm not being fed over there. They're not feeding me. Hmm. I mean... When my kids were small, yes, I fed them. Anybody have kids? When they're small, yes, you feed them. 
But the goal of the parent, no, you have to feed yourself. Grab the spoon or grab the peas with your hand. I don't care if you pour them in your mouth, smush them all up, but you learn how to feed yourself, right? And understand this, you guys. I'm not trying to condemn people. I'm not. I want people to take self-inventory. Assess your life. You know where you're at. You know what you're doing and not doing. I'm trying to push you and encourage you to get into this word. I'm trying to encourage you to spend time with God every single day. To spend more than just 30 minutes. The Bible says to meditate on his word day and night, but I'm going to get into that a little bit later. The second thing that they did was they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. They searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. What was it? Paul saying this Jesus that I'm talking about is the Messiah. The one that you've heard about before. The one who was crucified days ago. He was the Messiah. He's the one that the Jews were looking for. Many believe, right? Many believe. Prominent men and women believed. Jesus said this in John chapter 5, verse 39. It says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. This is what the Jews were doing. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Verse 40, yet you refuse to come to me and have life. Eternal life is about a person. When they were studying the scriptures, they were thinking, okay, I am right with God. But then they refused the one who they were being taught about. Why? Because their traditions and their ideas take precedent over the word. When we come to Jesus, we have to come to him and who he is. In order for us to grow in our relationship, understanding and knowledge about Christ, his truth has to be embraced. We have to search for him daily in his word. I was told by my mentor, my spiritual father, Donnie Randall, when you read from Genesis to Revelation, always look for Jesus. Jesus says, you search the scriptures thinking that you will find life, but they're written about me. So that means in the law and the word, it's talking about Jesus. We have to look for Jesus as we're reading the word. He's in Genesis. He's in uh, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, Numbers. He's in the law. He's in the, the Torah. He's in the prophets. He's in Song of Psalms. People don't really read that. He's in Song of Psalms as well. It's looking for Jesus. 
Look at intently into this word, Jesus. Help me to see you. Because as I see you, then I will know who I am. I will know who I am. He's our life. He's our sustainer. And Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7 says this. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Rooted, built up in him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught. Overflowing with thankfulness. See, I heard people say, yes, I'm good with the man upstairs. You heard that before? Yeah, me and the man upstairs. Or Jesus is my homeboy. Yeah. <laughs> me and him are cool. Yes, I know how I'm living. It's not right, but me and Jesus, we got an understanding. Yeah, he got a, I mean, he understands all right. That's why he died for you. That's why he gave his life for you, because he understands you and I that we are frail. He understands you and I that we're weak left to ourselves, that we can't do it. He understands that the God of all creation will become a man. I like that song that my king would die for me. Mm. So we have to receive him, as the word says in Colossians 2, verse 6, as Lord and being rooted in him. This means that you no longer sit on the throne of your heart. You no longer call the shots. Either he's Lord of all or he's not Lord of all. At all. Either way. When you receive him, he asks not just to become Savior, but Lord. And then we continue to root and ground ourselves in that truth. Every single day, Jesus, you're Lord of my heart. Jesus, have your way. You know me better than I know myself because you created me. You know what I'm prone to if I'm left to myself. I need you today. And I'm so thankful of that because there was a time this morning when I was being attacked and Jesus was looking out for me already. That's a whole different story. But look, at, but look what happens when we fully embrace the word. In Psalms 1, 1 and 3 says this. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the steps with wicked or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. Verse 2, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord? Say his delight. is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. Verse 3, that person is like a tree planted by the streams of water which yields its fruit in season, 
and whose leaves does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. It says whatever they do prospers. They're careful of the things of the people that they hang around with. They're careful of their conversations. And it says, it says, but who delights? Who delights in the law of the Lord? Who loves his word? Who meditates day and night? Right now it's day. A couple hours from now, some hours from now, it's going to be night. Day and night. Throughout the day. Meditating upon his word. On his conversations. There was a guy, Smith Wigglesworth, you know, years ago. He would, he would spend time with God and, you know, after an hour, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm not saying we have to do that. But he, he made it a point. Jesus, I need to spend more time with you. I want to learn more about who you are. And the last point is this. It says, guarding our brothers and our sisters. This is what they did. It says, when the Jews from Thessalonica heard that Paul and Silas were there in Berea, they came there to persecute them, to stir up the crowd. And what did they do? What did the Bereans do? They guarded them and let them out. We have to begin to guard our brothers and sisters. We have to guard the people in the body of Christ. In Hebrews chapter um, um, 13, verse 17 says this Have confidence in your leaders. Submit to their authority because they watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would not be a benefit to you. As leaders, as pastors and leaders, we're praying for you guys. We're praying for you guys. We're watching over you. We're praying throughout the week. We're carrying you guys in our hearts. Pray for us. Pray for us. Guard them. Don't go to social media and begin to talk about other people. Begin to pray. Begin to pray for the people who speak the word over you. So I want to close with this. How are we going to respond to the truth of God this morning, the truth of his word this morning? Are we going to reject? Are we going to receive? I want to give you guys some homework. I want you guys to begin to pray and ask God, where have I been speaking death over myself? Where have I been allowing things in my life that shouldn't be there? And as he begins to show you, ask him, Lord, help me to deal with that in your word. 
And as he shows you in his word, you begin to take that and you begin to confess the word over that area in your life. And you begin to repent of the thinking that we've had, of you had and we had, that was contrary to his word. So can we do that this week? Can we do that this week? Okay. Well, let us pray this morning. Father, I thank you right now. Father, I thank you, Lord God, for your word, Lord. I thank you, Father God, for your very thoughts. I thank you, Lord God, that you care for us, Lord God, that you long for us, that you long to be in fellowship and intimacy with us, Father. Father, I'm praying, Lord God, that every ear who, who heard, whether in person or online, that you would guard this word, that you would guard their heart, and that you would show them, Lord, and that as you show them, Lord God, that by your love, you're drawing them to you so that they can become like you and they can become the man and woman that you've called them to be. So, Father, we thank you right now this morning for your work. In Jesus' name, amen.